Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual... What is going on, Jason? You know, I'm good, but I'm not quite as good as I'm <laughs> That's year. all right. You know, we uh, you were on a different podcast last year. We brought you over to the Over and Back uh, Podcast this year, and yeah. it's been sure. fine, I guess. But, you know, those season's ramping up again, yeah. and I, I it might be time for you to explore some other options. I'm just saying, you know. Or you could you oh, could let oh, me go too. You can just keep this if you want. Like, but um, okay, fair enough. I mean, the only one of us. This podcast is only big enough for one of <laughs> clearly, us. Clearly, yes, yeah. It's so, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, the over and back right. podcast explodes so. here on uh, cue the saxophone yes. music and right. That's so, us being nerds. Okay, that's yeah. us being wrestling nerds. All right, do we'll I, move on. <laughs> yeah. Do I get to keep over, or do you get to keep over? Um, and I, take back? I was going to take back anyway. So if you want over, I think over's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because then over you got like then the podcast yeah. right. has to be all about the future, and that seems kind of like difficult. You're like, well, next year Ooh, the Raptors yeah. <laughs> will be. Uh, well, mine I can still yes. look at the back. You know, it's a little bit easier to. Uh, you know, the back That's podcast is, is a little the over. Well, you know, uh, yeah, the you could you could parlay it pretty easily into a uh, betting podcast as well. Because I know you're nothing if not the the world's foremost sport betting expert. So yeah, that would. Yes, yeah. Our our uh, our advertisements for uh, for such obviously, for <laughs> right, of good, course, uh, yes. Yeah, gamblers, uh, we are. Uh, yeah, a company that shall not be named. Yeah, that. Uh... Sure, sure. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, so, I'll gladly yeah, them all exactly. Back. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. Anyway, we are uh, talking about uh, some situations. Uh, One year blunders. We are talking about that as of players who. Uh, ended up, you know, with some ballyhoo going into a situation where expectations were high. Uh, they were perhaps it could be in situations where they could win championships or at least have great acclaim. But uh, the unfortunately, things did not go well. Some of it was personality or fit driven. Some of it was just injuries or guys getting old. And some of it is where the circumstances just rapidly changed. So we're going to uh, just we picked six uh, interesting examples of this phenomenon throughout NBA history. I'm sure there are other good choices as well. We're going to maybe briefly discuss a few at the end of the show. But yeah, there's two that come to mind that are kind of going on right now where it definitely seems like the potential is there for this to be happening again. Uh, one is Jimmy Butler in uh, Minnesota. There's uh, been... Um, Talk over the past few weeks of trade demands and not getting along with some of the young stars there, and of course that was him being traded to uh, the Timberwolves was you know was quite a uh, you know big phenomenon. He was expected to do great things, and, and he did lead them to a you know playoff appearance and certainly great improvement on the court. But there is always been something kind of a miss in the last year, and it's finally kind of come out. We'll see if that lasts. Uh, the other one, of course, being Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. You know they traded for a disaffected guy, uh, taking a chance that you know he'll be able to bring them to great things in the East without LeBron. But obviously, some big chance there for disaster potential. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with the idea that both these guys have, have been kind of linked to other teams as well, that, that you know, a guy like a Kawhi, like, yeah, he might do great in Toronto this year, but, like, if he just leaves and Toronto doesn't obviously get to the highest of highs and he's just then, you know, a Clipper or a Laker next year or whatever, then that would be, you know, one that we'd sort of consider a potential blunder in that say, sense. And I think one thing that was important about this when, when we're going through is we try to pick guys that were in their prime, near their prime, high expectations, because we had a lot of great examples of people who who said, like, I know there was one guy in our, our Facebook group that said, like, George Gervin was the Bulls and that's a great one like George Gervin with the Bulls but he was kind of done at that point you know what I mean George Gervin like yeah it was like George Gervin on the Bulls and George Gervin's George Gervin but it was kind of done you know what I mean and like Paul Pierce on, on the Nets was one that got brought up or I think he I, I don't know if he just played one year with the Nets I, I don't recall if he played a few but like at that point Paul Pierce is kind of 
toast. You, you know, like uh, it, there, there was quite a few that we got. Like Isaiah Thomas last year with the Cavs, people brought that one up. I didn't really feel comfortable about that one either, just because Isaiah Thomas, I think, was a little bit of broken parts at that time. So we try to find guys that that either you know were in their primes, uh, were still having great careers, or there were high expectations. Because there is one we're going to talk about where it's pretty obvious that the guy had kind of slowed down a lot, but the expectations were super high coming into it. So that's kind of how we judged it. Or, or you know, some people brought up like D- Dwayne Wade on the Bulls last year, and it's like, well, no, Dwayne Wade's kind of you know what we thought or. or Dwayne Wade on the Bulls a few years ago, uh, kind of what we thought at that point, where he's kind of breaking down and, and, and falling. So we try to keep it to just guys sort of in their prime or at the top of their career. Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, yeah, and you know, I think the most recent example for that is Carmelo Anthony in Oklahoma City. And this obviously just last year, you remember it uh, on uh, September 2017, he was traded to the Thunder from the Knicks in exchange for Enos Cantor. Doug McDermott and a 2018 second round pick. And uh, uh, the quotes uh, after the season sh- sort of show that, yeah, maybe this wasn't going to go well from the beginning. You know, you and I did a podcast even, you know, looking at this, uh, going into it, kind of comparing it to some other, you know, big three-like situations. We had questions about the fit, but thought, you know, with the talent there, maybe Carmelo could kind of slide into a role where, you know, he could be more like Olympic Mill. It's, it's kind of the talking point there of being able to, you know, uh, be more of a spot-up shooter, be less ball-dominant. There was some of that going on, but it didn't really obviously work out. And the the quote, uh, he said, it wasn't a good fit. Everything was just so rushed, going from the team for media day and the day before training camp. These guys already had something in place, and then I come along in the 25th hour like, oh, shit, Melo, just come come on and join us. Like, you can figure it out since you've been around the game for a long time. That's why it was so inconsistent. At times, I had to figure it out on my own rather than somebody over there or people over there helping me. Yeah, so, <laughs> not yeah. great. Not a great start. I mean, th- those came out, of course, after the season. But th- we'll, we'll discuss some quotes that happened during the season. But uh, it was a lot of you know catch twenty two stuff. Oh yeah, afterwards, afterwards, afterwards. But yeah, and, and, and again, like September twenty fifth, two thousand seventeen is when he comes to the team. I mean, that is pretty late in the process. Things are going on. Guys have already kind of got familiar with each other, and he comes in. They had already acquired Paul George at this point, and then Anthony was, as you said, like that second, that, that third piece of this, quote, big three or whatever that was going to fit with all these other guys who had really largely been together for quite a while, uh, with the exception of Paul George. But uh, yeah, it didn't, uh, obviously did not work out great from the beginning and, and seemed like it was kind of doomed from the start. Yeah, for sure. So we decided we would just pick uh, five memorable quotes uh, and memorable in quotes games uh, rather than you know recapping this event that of course just happened fairly recently. So uh, first one we picked was December 16th, 2017. Uh, his first game back against the Knicks, first game back in New York is a fact. Um, Carmelo had the rare exact zero game score against his former team. Uh, 12 points on 5 of 18 shooting and had five personal fouls for good measure. Uh, Michael Beasley, his quote after the game, uh, after a Knicks win, you got to beat the best to be the best. He's one of the best of our era, which, you know, I guess it's true. It's kind of a, uh, you you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man kind of uh, quote from (laughs) Michael Beasley there. So, yeah. He's not, like, totally wrong. Like, yeah, he is one of the best of the era, but, like, I don't, it it, it doesn't, like, just happen forever you know what I mean like you can't beat like right. you know <laughs> it's like you know yeah at a certain point like beating Carmelo no longer means the same thing that it meant 10 years ago you know that's sure. kind of one of the issues there like yeah, if yeah. You, you know if you beat Dwayne Wade in the heat it's not like oh that's that's a world champion right there you beat him you've shown it's like well I mean yeah kinda he, yes Dwayne Wade is good and he is accomplished but like yeah it's 2018 like this isn't the same Dwayne Wade so uh, but I don't know yeah it's it's Beasley so it is what it is sure <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, with Melo, the the thing is, like, how close was he at his best to being, like, the best player in the league? Like, 
he maybe was a five, top five player at a certain point. I'm like not even 100 percent sure. Right. I, I, I'm, I've always been yeah. kind of down overall on, on, on Carmelo, so I'm probably a bad judge of it because I think there are probably people that would say that. I don't think anybody would ever say at any point he was the best. You, you know what I mean? Like because he played obviously <laughs> alongside LeBron, right. and right. it's pretty much impossible to make an argument that that at any point he was better than than LeBron. But uh, I think there are people that would probably put him very comfortably top five and maybe a few of those years I know there was the obviously the one Knicks year where he really uh, put everything together and, and 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 the team was actually pretty good as well that people might put him you know even in that upper echelon top three or whatever to me I think yeah there were probably some years where he was top five I feel like he did get kind of passed up maybe I, I don't know the, the exact timeline is, is is tough but I mean those first few years uh, in Denver I think he was kind of growing and becoming one of those top five guys and I think even the last few years in Denver he was there uh, then Knicks, he, he popped up a little bit here and there. But yeah, it, for me, I've always been kind of so-so on his game, so I don't know that I would ever put him like unequivocally top five or whatever, but I, I think there's probably some years where he absolutely was. Yeah, I definitely, like, yeah, you could definitely make a case, like, he was, there are years where he was, he may be one of the top five guys, but yeah, it, it clearly was never, there was never ever a conversation that was anywhere reasonable, like, oh yeah, Carmelo Anthony is the best player in the league, you know, that that was never, like, a, a legitimate thing, so it, yeah, if BZ were saying a bit about LeBron, yeah, that would make a little bit of sense. <clears throat> Carmelo, yeah, it's just, I guess, more just being nice, you know. Sure, right, it's not, right, right. It's not, it's not Ric Flair. It's more like uh, Jeff Jarrett, you know. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Garvin, yeah, no, no, yeah, Ronnie Garvin, Garvin. yeah, it's not Ronnie Garvin. Garvin. Hey, Garvin, stop! It's, it's a heck of a move. <laughs> so um, next we have March tenth, twenty eighteen, against the Spurs. Uh, Carmelo only had two points on one of seven shooting, thirty-two minutes. Thunder did win this game, but it was a historically bad game for Anthony Standards. Only three times in his career before this, he had been held. Less than five points despite playing 30 or more minutes. So, uh, yeah, not great. Yeah. And, and that's no, what, no, one of the things that was yeah. kind of tough is, is in, you know, in doing the research for this, I was expecting a lot of like real dud Anthony games. Like, all right. Like, cause I remember in real time watching it, it was like, wow, this guy really, like, there was games where you'd watch and you're like, Carmelo, what are you doing, buddy? Like, you're just shooting them out of this game or whatever. And when you go back and look at the stats, it doesn't, it's not like overwhelmingly terrible. You know what I mean? There are a few games, those two really stood out as, as, as really terrible games. And there, there were some games, again, where he was, you know, five of 20 shooting, but that's kind of the Carmelo experience sometimes. Like, even when he was good, you'd sometimes get five of 22 Carmelo games or whatever. He'd still get like 18 points or whatever because he'd get a few at the foul line and he would, you know, obviously never be that great a defender. But, I think what surprised me is there wasn't any like you look at the stats and they, they're they're not great they're not like wonderful but they're not like historically terrible like he wasn't an absolute disaster in Oklahoma City it just didn't work it just didn't meet the expectations that a lot of people had and that's kind of why we put it on this list more than anything it wasn't a complete disaster of a season where oh my god can you believe Carmelo Anthony was so bad and here's all the bad games he had it just didn't work you know what I mean it was just never it never kind of clicked with him there and, and he's the first to admit it as well. Sure. Yeah. The uh, just for uh, reference sake, he averaged a 16.2 points per game, which is down from 22.4. Uh, true shooting percentage, he was down as well from um, 53 percent to just over 50 percent. And uh, box score plus minus, he was uh, previous year he was negative 0.7, and uh, last year 2018 he was negative 3.8. So those are not great indicators. No, no. I mean, yeah, it was, he wasn't good. Like, he, like no, no doubt, he yes. was not good. Uh, it's just like you know, statistically, especially the counting stats. 
Uh, Mel's right. going to get his stuff. You know what I mean? Like, Mel's sure. probably going to score 10 points no matter what. Like, it's very hard for him to not. And that's why that game where he only scores two really stands out because he plays that many minutes. He only shoots seven times, which is rare for him. But that kind of became a theme as the year went on. Like, that March game was was one of many where Melo just completely got lost in the offense. But the first few months of the year, he was getting all of his shots that he would normally get. They just weren't going in very much. But he was still, you know, finding a way to 15 or 18 points almost every game or whatnot. But, yeah, it's it's it was definitely not a good year at all, for sure. No. His assist percentage went from 14.5 to 6.5. Yeah, uh, that's not yeah. ideal. I think there was one point, and I tried to see if it, it, it held through the entire season, but I remember there was some point where he had like some ungodly high usage percentage with an ungodly low assist percentage. It was like far and away the worst ever in that stat uh, that year, but I think uh, something happened towards the end of the year where he did not actually meet that mark or whatever, so uh, congratulations, I guess. Mm-hmm. So some of the uh, interesting uh, Carmelo Anthony quotes uh, early on in the year when the team was struggling a bit, they, they got off to kind of a rough start before, you know, ended up, ending up with a pretty good record. Um, Nobody is moping around. Nobody is frustrated. I think guys are angry. I think guys are pissed. That just comes from your competitive nature and wanting to win games. Um, we're fine, man. It's on us to figure out how to be consistent. That's our biggest downfall. Not we're, we're not a consistent team, which is obviously a boring thing to say. Uh, also, later on... Um, this was after the season when, uh, during his exit interview, he said, I'm not sacrificing no bench role. I think everyone knows I've sacrificed damn near everything. I was willing to sacrifice nearly everything for the situation to work out. And it was, it's interesting because like, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Cause the, the bench thing is, you know, I, I guess that that's a huge pride thing. And it's like, I would get sick of everybody asking me that question. Cause I'm not sure like him going on the bench actually is necessarily like a good answer to that situation because like, I think he can be more theoretically be more valuable with the starters with the shooting rather than, you know, being like even if he's going against second units, I'm not sure you want like, you know, him feeding him the ball and him like, you know, taking on that much of a load on offense at, at that point. But um, but yes, that I can. Uh, nevertheless, it was not a, you know, a, a great indicator for him. Yeah. And unfortunately, the same things are kind of going on uh, right now in Houston where he comes to Houston and immediately the first question is, hey, are you going to go to the bench? And and I get it. Like, I think there's this idea. And, and a lot of times there are players in NBA history where, where people bring them up like, you know, that, that this guy would be so much better if he just came off the bench because he could just do everything he wants to do. Like, but that, that idea is kind of dumb because it's not like, like you said, they don't want to just like, all right, well, it's time for the bench to come in. So everybody just pass to Carmelo and stand around and watch him. Like that's, you don't really want that either. Like that's not a solution. That's just, you know, hiding the problem and putting it in, you know, this, the last half of the first quarter in the, you know, middle of the second quarter. Like that's not really a solution though. Just say, Hey, Melo, just grab the ball. Every time you're in, just shoot every single time you want. Cause we don't care. Cause it's our second unit. Like, no, you want to also have the second unit play similar to how the first. So yeah, yeah, there, there's there's some fallacies in there where it's just the idea that hey, Carmelo can just do whatever he wants in the second unit and that'll be great. Like, yeah, I don't know that that necessarily works out. You know exactly how people maybe envision it in their heads. Sure. And then uh, I think what really sums it up is the uh, is the thank you letter that he sent to um, uh, Oklahoma City fans after officially signing with the Rockets. Uh, some quotes there. He wanted nothing more than to make it work. Uh, I, he said, I know it was only one season, but from the time I arrived in OKC, I was greeted with so much love. And then in life, I've learned that things don't always work out, turn out how you want, which I think if you have to say those things uh, in a goodbye, thank you letter, it's an indication like, you know, maybe that's, uh, uh, you know, all those things are nice in and of themselves. But if you have to put the, <laughs> your, your goodbye letter, uh, then, you know, maybe it's indication, eh, maybe not the best uh, fit. No, for sure not. And, and the problem is, I think we might. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe having a similar conversation next year around the same time about uh, the old Houston Rockets. Uh, yeah, I, experience. We'll see. We'll see. Right. We'll see. I, I think the 
the fact that Houston probably has a smarter offense overall, though they have obviously a lot of ball dominance with Harden and uh, and Paul and, and, and getting that to fit, plus the coaching history between Anthony and Mike D'Antoni and other reasons. I'm not super optimistic, but I think that maybe there's just a better shot of the fit working out a little bit better, maybe them finding ways to succeed in the offense that Oklahoma City wasn't able to find. Right, and I think there's a better basketball culture around Houston as well with those guys. So yeah, I tend to think it probably will work better, and maybe this was a season where Carmelo had, uh, the season in Oklahoma City had kind of a wake-up call and understood, okay, here here's some things I have to change about my game and whatnot. We'll see. Yeah, we, we again, we might have the same conversation you know, at the same time next year, or we might say, oh wow, that OKC year was really the aberration, and otherwise he's kind of, thank God he was able to kind of transform his career, because I, I don't want Carmelo to be like out of the league. Like, I would love for Carmelo to like hang around for another five, six years or whatever and kind of alter his game and be uh, similar to Vince Carter types and those sort of guys that we're seeing right now. Like, I love the idea of, of like guys that I watched growing up or whatever, like hanging around with, you know, in the second chapters of their career, you know, altering their games a little bit. Jason Terry likes, you know, Vince Carter like, you know, those sort of guys uh, that I really enjoy. Dirk this year is, of course, going to be, be doing that a little bit more as well. Like, I, I love that idea of guys sort of reinventing themselves and changing themselves as they go on. So I hope he's one of those that does it. Yeah, and I've always kind of enjoyed watching Carmelo, even despite sometimes, yeah, hanging on the ball and all the jab steps and stuff. For whatever reason, Carmelo's always been a, kind of a guy who I've enjoyed watching, even if I'm, like you, skeptical of how, you know, great of a player he's actually been. A very good one, and but, you know, not really, you know, top three for very often, as, as we talked about. I'm kind of upset that he didn't uh, hang with the Atlanta Hawks. He was on the Atlanta Hawks for like an hour well, and a half, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> so that, like, uh, obviously, as a Hawks fan, I'm disappointed. We could not recreate, you know, 2004, 2005 with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Anthony being, you know, a uh, slightly older, uh, but probably better shape than Anton Walker, you know, going on things. So I would hope uh, so. I, I would certainly hope he's yeah. in better shape than Anton Walker that year, but uh, I guess you don't right. know. Yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. All right, we'll move on to our next one here. This is an infamous one here. Dwight Howard in Los Angeles, of course, with the Lakers. Uh, before we do this, though, again, I feel like we have to kind of do this a lot, and I feel like every single offseason we have to do this. But Dwight Howard was very, very good, like really good for a lot of years. He's a surefire Hall of Famer, so let's stop having even a minute of a debate about that. He was a, So this is everything that he did before this trip to L.A., and he's had you know some decent runs uh, since this L.A. year, and this L.A. year was, wasn't all bad. We'll talk about the bad here in a bit, but it wasn't all bad. But before that season, six straight All-Star games, he had led the league in rebounds four years, Blocks twice and his accumulated win shares. They were 87.5 at this point. 87.5 win shares for Dwight at this time. That's just Orlando Dwight. Would have put him top 20 all time among centers. Already, if he retired after he didn't even go to L.A., he just said, you know what? I'm just going to eat Skittles all day. I'm done with the basketball. This is stupid. He'd be top 20 all time in centers. Right now, he's ninth. He's squeezed between Walt Bellamy and Bob Lanier. So, like, Dwight Howard, good. <laughs> you know, like, I, he's an idiot. He's a weirdo and nobody likes his jokes. But he's good, and he's very good, and he's an all-time great. So, sorry. Like, I know it sucks because he's a dweeb, but he's an all-time great player. Yeah, Nobody likes my jokes either, so. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I make fart jokes, and nobody laughs either. So, it's like, you know. I also eat way too much candy, and, you know, so I, I, I... I, in some ways, I empathize with, with Dwight Howard, and, and him and yeah. I are very similar on the basketball court too. I am also yeah. a, you're uh, you're a locker room cancer, so you know <laughs> it's, it's true. I understand. We talked about it know? earlier. We already want to break this uh, whole thing why, up. Yeah, that's why we're splitting up. Unfortunately, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's sad. Yeah. But Our uh, life together, <laughs> things had obviously gone south in Orlando uh, after the trip to the finals in 2009. Uh, Howard and head coach Stan Van Gundy had butted heads, famously, uh, very very the most awkward moment possibly in NBA history, where Stan Van Gundy's talk, talking shit about Dwight Howard while sipping on a diet coke. I think it was. I forget 
what he was drinking. And then Dwight just like walks in. And he's like, oh, hey, hey, Dwight, what's up? And like, hey, how's it going? And like, they just laugh. And every reporter's just like, oh, no. <laughs> like, what do we do? How do we get out of here? But anyway, he had uh, many times been uh, requesting a trade from the team. He had ready to move on. Uh, during the 2012 offseason, uh, Howard had an uneven season that year. Uh, he missed a huge chunk of games due to back injuries. Uh, he requested the Magic trade him at the end uh, d- during that offseason. He wanted to go to the Nets. The Nets had just at this season uh, relocated to Brooklyn. He really, really wanted to go to Brooklyn. He really wanted to be a Nets. Who doesn't want to be a Brooklyn Nets, to be honest? I mean, especially now that you look at it now. I mean, that people are just clamoring to be Brooklyn Nets. Uh, he intended to become a free agent at the end of the uh, season because he still had one year on his contract. So at the end of the 2013 season, he was going to be a free agent. And he basically said that, you know, he was just going to leave. He's, he was not going to resign with Orlando. So they might as well just trade him right now. Um, Orlando traded him. Not to the Brooklyn Nets, but to the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, this is a uh, team, the Lakers team at this point, flush with talent. They had Kobe Bryant, Paul Gasol, uh, Metal World Peace, Steve Nash, and now Dwight Howard. So that's a hell of a lineup right there. Um, people forget, I think, about this trade as well. This was a nuts trade, too. There was a ton of players that moved, uh, a bunch of different teams. Uh, the deal also involved the Philadelphia 76ers and the Denver Nuggets. Some of these had, had big ramifications as well. Uh, the Lakers got Chris Duhon and Earl Clark. Uh, the Magic got Josh McRoberts, Christian Iyenga. Remember Christian Ianga? You probably don't. Slightly. Yeah, yes. I remember Christian Ianga. I, I don't remember know the why name. I remember yeah. Uh, Maurice Harkless, Mo Harkless, uh, Nikola Vucevic, Aaron Afalo, Al Harrington, and draft picks. So the Magic got quite a lot from that. Uh, Philadelphia received Jason Richardson and the corpse of Andrew Bynum. Uh, and Denver received Andre Iguodala. So uh, yeah. it worked pretty well for Pe- Denver. People- yeah, people didn't know it was the corpse of Andrew Bynum yet, though. People still thought he was going to Oh, that's good. true. He was so, still a human yeah. being at that point. Yeah, he still right. was yeah. actually part human, so as opposed to yes. you know, a pile of bones. So that's, that's good to know. So um, yeah. expectations were obviously high because I said that's Kobe, Paul Gasol, Metal World Peace, Steve Nash, and now Howard. I mean, that's obviously a team that had just won a title a few years ago. They're adding Steve Nash, one of the point, best point guards in the league, even though he had gotten older, but he still had some, you know, what felt like something left in him. And then Dwight Howard, who we just mentioned his credentials right there. I mean, they were going to be good. Don, uh, Donnie Walsh, who had just uh, recently uh, re-upped with the Pacers uh, to become their president, said, I think they will be good. So he kept it nice and uh, short. Uh, Kobe Bryant on Facebook posted immediately after the trade, well, it looks like Superman has found a home. The Lakers have landed a piece that will hopefully carry the franchise long after I'm gone. I've spoken to Dwight Howard, and we are locked and loaded to hopefully bring back the title. So expectations were sky high. Uh, things were pretty untenable, even at the time, even at the beginning. Um, Dwight Howard's quote immediately following the trade. I found this pretty interesting. and I don't remember this happening at the time. He says, right now, it's about today. And today is the day that I'm here with the Lakers. And that's the only thing that matters. Whatever happens a year from now, we'll wait until that time. But right now, it's all about me starting fresh. I don't like that. You know what I mean? If I just acquire you and you're like, well, today is today. And I'm with the Lakers. We'll see about later. But uh, yeah, that's uh, probably an untenable quote from the beginning. And, and maybe peeked into a little bit of what was going on. And, and obviously with Kobe Bryant being Kobe and Dwight having the temperament that he had, it seemed like it might have been an issue, but it felt like Kobe was so good at that point, and, and Dwight was so good, and Steve Nash was so good that they were going to make this work no matter what, even with Gasol and Metal World Peace. Uh, they had the infamous uh, Sports Illustrated cover, the Now This Is Going to Be Fun, showing uh, Howard and Nash in their new Lakers uniforms. Uh, spoiler alert, it was not fun. It was not, not fun, fun at all. No, After it not, not so fun. Eight, <laughs> they lost their first eight games in preseason, and they started one and four in the regular season. Uh, head coach Mike Brown was fired. Bernie Bickerstaff assumed interim duties. And then former Phoenix Suns coach Mike D'Antoni was brought in to be the full-time coach. I mean, hey, he worked with Nash. It's Mike D'Antoni. This will be great. Uh, it didn't really go that much better. This uh, They began the season 15-21. and 21. This is their worst start since 1994. So that's quite a while there. Uh, January 24, 2013, Los Angeles Times. Bill Plaschke, um, his headline is Dwight Howard is at the center of the Lakers issue. 
Uh, and this is kind of a, a little excerpt from that. He says, one night he's going 31 and 16. The next night he's taking five shots in 30 minutes. Some nights he fills the lane and alters every shot. Other nights you can watch an entire half without knowing he's there. He entertains the media before games in the locker room, but his teammates wonder about the seriousness of his preparation. He often plays with a childlike joy, but he plays on a team whose five-during leader has angrily instructed them to put on their big boy pants. If there is... If there has been a flame extinguished, it happened in a Memphis locker room this week when Bryant challenged his heir by wondering if Howard found it difficult to play with him. Howard reportedly did not stand up to Bryant and seemed despondent afterwards, and there's no sign, and that's no sign of a future Lakers leader. So Kobe's not happy. Dwight's not happy. The Lakers are bad. Things aren't going well here. This is not going well in L.A. at all. Yeah, no, it, definitely not going well. And yeah, the expectations were so high to begin with. I mean, there were people who were talking about them, like maybe competing to win 70 games and, you know, being up there with Miami in terms of, you know, being one of the great teams in the league. So, yeah, I, I think people, the underestimating, you know, the first of all, the chemistry issues, second of all, the, you know, the serious back issues that uh, that Howard had and, if, you know, what happened with Steve Nash as well, basically missing most of the season, you know, all that stuff uh, just piled on and, um, and and was pretty, you know, added up to, you know, what ended up being, you know, a, a fairly disastrous year considering expectations. Absolutely. And, and yeah, the Nash, we should, we should uh, uh, of course note that, yeah, Nash had, had a ton of injuries as well back um, issues as well. So he missed a majority of the season. It was pretty much a non-factor. Uh, and a lot of the Lakers seem to get old really quick. Like Metal World Peace was kind of on his last leg and, and, and getting pretty old. And and even Kobe was starting to show some signs of, of, of you know, kind of slowing down a little bit. But uh, regardless, uh, throughout the season, Howard, uh, he was upset he was not getting the ball enough and he felt that Kobe Bryant was shooting too much. That is probably likely both of those things. Uh, one night, Howard said he needed to bring it and dominate in more ways than just scoring. The next day, he had two points and four rebounds in just 14 minutes. Uh, then he set out the rest of the game after aggravating his shoulder injury. Uh, January 30th, Howard left the Phoenix Suns game early after re-aggravating his shoulder, which has been a problem all year. So he had back and shoulder issues all year. Um, Brian, after the game, says uh, that Howard worries too much. Quote, that's a quote, worries too much. And quote, doesn't want to let anybody down. And he urged him to play through the pain when Pogasol was sidelined with a torn plantar fascia. So they uh, didn't have Pogasol because he had injuries. And Kobe essentially saying, suck it up, man, and get out there and let's play. Uh, Howard returned the next game after uh, commenting that Brian was, quote, not a doctor. And I'm not a doctor. That's his opinion. So, yes, things are not going well at all in L.A. Uh, Lakers were battling for a playoff spot all year. And again, like you said, expectations were this team might win 70. This team was going to definitely be the best team in the West, competing with the Heat, one of the better teams in the league. They're battling for a playoff spot, and they are in danger of almost missing the playoff. Uh, I forgot this was the same year as well. Kobe Bryant's season ends. He suffers a torn Achilles, and he is done. Uh, The Lakers eventually qualify for the playoffs, but they do so on the final day of the season. Uh, They face San Antonio in the first round of the playoffs and were easily swept. So did not go well there uh, on the court. It wasn't all bad, though. Howard finished the year uh, with his lowest scoring average since his second year in the NBA, and he made just under uh, 50% of his free throws for the second straight year as well. Regardless, though, he was the league leader in rebounding. He ranked second in field goal percentage, and he only missed six games all season. So despite all the ideas of him having like shoulder injuries and back injuries and whatnot, he played through a lot of the pain. Yeah, he missed a few games here and there, but yeah, he only missed six games all season. Uh, he was eventually named to the All-NBA third team. Uh, and that was five uh, after five years of consecutive first-team honors. So he, he had jumped down to the uh, third team this year, but still made an All-NBA team. Uh, and, of course, yeah, it was one and done for Howard. Uh, he became a free agent in the summer, and he was offered a maximum contract of five years and $118 million from the Lakers. Um, and then matched uh, other teams matched that for four years 
uh, for 88, uh, given that they couldn't give him, you know, the, the Lakers could, of course, give him more than, than any other team. Uh, in early July, uh, Howard met with the Lakers, the Dallas Mavericks, the Houston Rockets, Golden State Warriors, and Atlanta Hawks. And on July 5th, 2013, he announced via Twitter that he was going to sign with the Rockets. I love the idea of Dwight going to, like, the Warriors. You know, this whole, whole thing just doesn't happen. Like, the Warriors really, really right. wanted him, and it's, you know, they dodged a bullet yeah. there, probably. Um, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say, yeah. A pretty, yes. pretty large bullet there. Yes. Right. Uh, Howard said of leaving Los Angeles, it was tough. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed, for the most part, living here in L.A. I just really think the timing in L.A., it just wasn't right for me. Maybe two years ago or two or three years from now, it would have been the right time. But I just think the timing right now was off for me. That's not saying L.A. is a bad place, but I just think it's all about timing and fit when you're talking about basketball. You can put anybody together on the court and expect them to win, but the pieces really have to fit in order for the team to be successful. And it was very, very tough, man. It's probably one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. And uh, some other things as well. Uh, things did not go well in the meetings as well. People mentioned that, you know, they pitched, the Lakers pitched Howard, but he was pretty much done. He was emotionless. Uh, he said he would barely look him in the eye. And then they, you know, when they found out he went to the Rockets, they were like, yeah, we, we pretty much assumed that. So it felt like he was pretty much done. He gave them a cursory look or whatnot. But yeah, Howard, uh, surprisingly, turned down a lot of money to go to Houston. Turned down quite a lot of money to become a Houston Rocket and team with James Harden. And uh, yeah, things went incredibly well there, I'm sure, right? I haven't... Uh, right. oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the sure bad part of the yeah. podcast, so I don't know what's going on lately, but I imagine things went quite well for the, uh, the Houston Oh yeah, Rockets. the over part, that checks out as well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah two things. Um, one, yeah, the Achilles injury from Kobe, you know, that of course came when he had just ramped up his minutes incredibly when other guys were dealing with injuries and ended up basically, you know... Um, you know, breaking himself to the point, you know, of exhaustion and of fatigue and of, you know, uh, injuring himself to, the, and that really was the kind of the career turning injury. He was really awesome that season, and then you know was never the same player, unfortunately, after that. Um, yeah, and and then the announcement actually it was leaked early, and then he you know like because he was intending to fly, I think fly back to tell the Lakers in person they did it, oh. and then it, it somehow <laughs> got leaked, and then you know it was all. Uh, it was all over, so that was kind of a debacle as well. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think by the end, no one was really super surprised that Dwight left. But I think early on, if you'd said after that trade, "Oh yeah, he's going to leave the Lakers after a year," I think people would have said, "You know, are you crazy?" Just because of you know how static they look, even you know, not it's not as though like people didn't think, "Okay, yeah, maybe they'll have personality issues." You know, Dwight and Kobe in particular, but you just thought the talent would just make it work and. You know, the Lakers' success, I, I guess, it was you know, kind of blinding to the reality that some of that was having. But yeah, um, so I guess now we're going to go to Dwight Howard in Atlanta and then uh, <laughs> Dwight Howard in Charlotte. No, wait, yeah, the I rest of this podcast we're, is we're just Dwight Howard. Uh, yeah, yeah. We can, uh, Dwight yes. Howard in, uh, uh, why am I blanking on what, I don't even remember what team he's on right now. Uh, Wizards. The Wizards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. we are definitely yeah. doing an episode <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's not well, going to work at all. Yeah. <laughs> John yeah. Wall. Jesus no. Christ. I mean, so, yeah. Dwight, Dwight's, I think Dwight's too far past his prime to be, to be on the anymore. That's but, true. But, 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 right. You're right. You're we're right. We're going to do something special, though. You yeah, never know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, next we are going to go d- dive back into the 70s with a tiny ultra Archibald joining the New York Nets. Uh, this was their last year in New York before they headed to New Jersey. Um, and Archibald, he'd you know already been a big star for the Royals and Kings franchise since 1971, but it only made the playoffs once in six years. And in 1973, he led the league in points per game and assists per game with 34 and 11.4. 
He's usually credited as the first to do this, although Oscar Robertson actually did it as well back in, uh, I think, 68 or 69. This was back when the credited leaders were in totals and not averages, So, for, and, and people have not uh, gone back to correct the record. But if you check out Basketball Reference, you will find that is the case. So, um, he, Anyway, uh, Archibald had just turned 28, uh, and, on, uh, and on September 10th, uh, 1976, he was traded uh, to the Nets, for Jim Eakins, Brian Taylor, and two future first-round picks that ended up being Otis Birdsong and Phil Ford. Um, the Nets had just come over from the ABA into the NBA. The, the, the merger had happened. They were coming off an ABA championship and, you know, looked like with uh, with Tiny A and Dr. J as they were being called, it looked like they could contend for a, another title, even with some loss of death. And we'll kind of compare the two teams in just a little bit. Uh, Archibald later was quoted as saying, you know, I came from Kansas City to Long Island. It was great coming to New York. I thought I was going to play with Irving. I was ecstatic about the trade, and this was a homecoming for him. He bought his mother a house close to Nassau Coliseum so she could watch him play nightly. He'd grown up in, in New, New York, so, you know, homegrown guy coming back home, looking like, you know, they're going to be a marquee team. Um, unfortunately, things did not work out uh, so well because on uh, – on October 20th, 1976, just 50 days after the uh, trade for Archibald, the day before the season began, uh, the Nets traded uh, Irving to the 76ers for $3 million in cash to pay for some merger-related expensive. And um, it's really weird because you would think that the Nets probably would not have acquired Archibald if they had had any idea that they couldn't afford Irving. But you would think like two months before that, you they would have had some idea. Yeah, it's it, it's strange. Yeah, this is a, a weird one. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it was you know when what 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 would have happened that would have made it like okay now we actually have to trade this now we actually yeah. need this money like I, right I, now I, not I, like you know a month ago like you, you kind of knew the expenses were terrible right like you knew that you probably right. going to have an issue that they, why did well, it have to be right now at this point to do it so they 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 had to pay the three million dollar or expansion fee and then they also had to pay the um, an extra three million dollars for being in the Knicks territory, and I'm not sure if that was totally apparent when the merger happened, or if that became uh, okay. A yeah, that's later, possibly but... that that he came in, and the Knicks were like, "Uh, <laughs> what are you doing?" Like, yeah. "Oh yeah, okay, all right, we'll we'll make them pay three million dollars," and then the Nets were like, "Oh yeah, no, we we don't really have that money." So that yeah, yeah. it's so yeah, I don't know. It, 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 there's some odd disconnect there. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, on, it's not uh, the first on, time on though, one, and it won't you know it wasn't the last, of course, for for NBA teams. We kind of now think of it like they're just you know flushed with cash and just unbelievable. But at these sure. times, you know. Little things like this are, you know, especially in the 70s, or, NBA was yeah. a little tricky, especially former I, ABA teams, too. Not exactly the most financially stable uh, league in the history of uh, Yeah, I, I just think to not have such, to have such a, you know, uh, unclear idea of your finances seems a little weird. But, yeah, I, you know, I'm not... This is bad <laughs> they haven't yeah, really well, gotten better yeah. about that. So. No, well, it's, you know, yeah. It's many, you know, even true. though now they're owned by, you know... A, very different people than they were then. It's it's kind That's of tradition true. for the Nets to just not kind of have any awareness of anything going on around them, so... Yeah. So the yeah I mean the Nets you know if you look at the seventy six team versus seventy seven team I mean there were seven players who played on both teams uh, you know from the seventy six championship team you know they lost Julius Irving uh, Brian Taylor and Jim Eakins um, they still had um, they sold Rich Jones uh, they had uh, they had Tim Bassett uh, Al Skinner Kim Hughes not not a whole uh, not not a murderer's row here uh, and. One thing, in addition to Archibald's injury, they also had uh, John Williamson only uh, played uh, half the season with the team. So they, you know, they had a lot of guys out. So yeah, theoretically, I think they could have had, you know, if uh, if Archibald had been healthy and if they'd have had, had um, 
you know, Irving, I think they still they would have definitely been a deep playoff contender, or maybe oh, a championship sure. contender. But but uh, you know, they had lost you know some of their depth. They'd added uh, Jan Friend, Bredikoff, who was you know a pretty good young player. But yeah, you know, they weren't exactly you know they, they still would have been a little bit tough. But I I think they definitely would have been there. But um, now um, uh, Archibald had a foot injury after 34 games in the season that kept him out for the rest of the season. But when he was there, his performance actually was pretty good. Uh, 20.5. Points per game, seven point five assists per game, fifty two true shooting, two point two box score plus minus. All were right around his uh, numbers from the previous season. Unfortunately, things did not uh, get better for uh, for Tiny. Uh, the following season, he was traded to the Buffalo Braves in September of seventy seven, and then uh, just about uh, uh, six weeks later, he uh, was uh, suffered a Achilles tendon a tear in a preseason game against the Pistons and uh, missed the entire season, so he never played a regular season um, game in a Braves uniform. He did play six preseason games, and uh, thanks to Todd Spear, we can reconstruct the entire Tiny Archibald era in uh, Buffalo. Um, Only one of those was an actual NBA city, which was Buffalo, his final game there against the Pistons. Uh, He also played in Grand Rapids, Michigan, South Bend, Indiana, Syracuse, New York, Portland, Maine, and Louisville, Kentucky. So, uh, fun fun Tiny Archibald facts. Yeah, those are great stuff. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Uh, and then later on, he ended up uh, becoming part of the Clippers and Celtics franchise swap, which um, after struggling a bit early with some conditioning issues and then clashing with uh, Celtics coach Bill Fitch, ended up carving a big role for in the 81 championship team and for um, five seasons with the uh, with the Celtics. In fact, he ended up making more all-star teams with the Celtics than he did with the uh, Kings, which I found kind of fascinating. Yeah, no, that is, yeah, I, I, you know, I knew he was obviously had played a big role in Boston, but I had never really thought that he had made three all-star games there. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, there's yeah. the 81 year where he was a huge part of it. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm shocked that he made three all-star teams with Boston. It's, yeah, it's, right. it, it just uh, caught me by uh, surprise. Well, and five overall, yeah, and also, yeah, his entire career. Right. I mean. Also kind of just shocked he only made two with the, with the Royals. And, and yeah, yeah I think that's the more shocking part. Yeah. Maybe not that he and, made them with Boston, but that he didn't make more uh, prior to that. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's pretty nuts there. He, yeah, he, he was hurt one year, and um, and you know I, I think the first year he didn't play a super amount, but still, yeah, it, it's I it's surprised by that one. And the people that don't know, because uh, you had mentioned it, and, and I think a lot of people listening probably do know this, but in case you don't, what when you say the the Clippers Celtics franchise swap, what are you referring to there? I think you know we we know sure. about that. We've talked about it before, but uh, maybe if you're just jumping in there, you might not be like, wait, what, does Clippers and the Celtics like, swap franchises? Uh, uh, like sort of, kind of. Yeah, right. Yeah, basically, yes. So. Um, the the short answer to that question is uh, the Celtics owner by that point was Irv Levin. He wanted to move the franchise to uh, San Diego, and the NBA did not want to move uh, obviously the Celtics franchise, <laughs> Premier Cornerstone franchise, to uh, a to you know out of Boston. So uh, See, the sometimes Braves government is good. See, sometimes government oversight is good. Like if you just sure the, the, the Boston Celtics would be playing in San Diego right now, that would be bad. Sure. We don't San want San Diego that. Celtics. Yeah, I like San Diego. So. I don't want the Boston Celtics in San Diego though. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, um, yes, so the uh, Buffalo team was uh, struggling. Their ownership was bad. They sold off a lot of stars, so they worked out a deal where they were able to um, essentially uh, swap the owners of the franchises, swapped ownership of the franchise. I think even legally the um, – the Celtics, you know, the the ownership or whatever, the franchise, be you know, be named the, behind the team name or whatever was actually, you know, was officially traded. So um, I, I think if you want to get like 
absolutely technical in like the same way that we like to get to about New Orleans and uh, Charlotte history. I think very technically the Celtics franchise, you know, would continue along with the Clippers and the, uh, you know, and, and the Braves franchise would continue along with the Celtics. But obviously they swapped the franchise history and all that good stuff. But yes, in the uh, in the midst of all that, they also swapped about half the players on the um, on the teams as well and swapped some draft picks. Uh that were involved as well. It's it, uh, it, in fact the uh, the Clippers were very close to end to getting the pick that uh, ended up be, being Larry Bird, but uh, but that uh, cooler heads prevailed there, and they were able to uh, avoid that for the Celtics. Yeah, so definitely a weird rare. Yeah, you can do some other research and read about it and stuff like that. Yeah, stuff and, and on, we've yeah. I think we've never done a show specifically on it, but we've done some shows on. Um, bad owners and on wacky <laughs> right. uh, yeah, yeah. wacky John. stuff in the 70s so uh you know dive back into our archives you'll you'll find some more in-depth uh, discussion about it yes we've definitely had an episode almost exclusively about john y brown or whatever and have maverick owners and all that sort of stuff yes yeah, definitely exactly. definitely want to check yeah. that out uh if yeah. you get a chance that'd, that'd be fun to kind of explore maybe for an episode of itself uh, one of these days but uh all right, move on to our next guy here. This is Chris Weber on the Golden State Warriors, and this is a pretty famous one as well. Weber was selected by the Orlando Magic with the first pick of the 1993 NBA draft, becoming the first sophomore since Magic Johnson uh, to be the number one overall pick, but uh, did not last long in Orlando because he was immediately traded to Golden State Warriors in exchange for Penny Hardaway and three future first-round draft picks. And now this is a this trade always kind of... At the time, if you read stuff, people were angered about this because Orlando was in some cap issues. Uh, They were looking to kind of get, you know, a lesser paid guy in a penny hardaway. They were looking to kind of get some future draft picks or whatnot. It seems weird that like a franchise that was as young as Orlando would be in this situation, but they kind of were. They tried to get good right away. And like, especially once they drafted Shaq, it was like, okay, let's let's get this thing rolling as quickly as we can. Uh, So it ended up being a trade that, you know, in in retrospect, worked out pretty well. I mean, obviously, Chris Weber and Shaquille would have been a fun little tandem, but Penny and Shaq were a fun little tandem, and obviously they made it in a you know a finals trip, and 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 you know a lot of good success came uh, of this trade and and stuff. So yeah, it's pretty cool to see that it ended up working out for those. But yeah, it was at one point kind of just a salary dump to get a guy you know who's right. going to get paid less. Well, Rich, I mean Betsy DeVos needed another yacht, so of obviously, course, all the, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously the. Magic had to make that deal. I mean, that it obviously, is, made that sense. is our director yeah. of education. I forget what her name is exactly, but she's bad at whatever her job is. Uh, all right, so let's move on here. Uh, so Don Nelson, he's kind of happy though because he just got Chris Weber. He says this is the, this is the year we've got to make a statement with our big people, and we did it without losing any of our nucleus. We've been trying to get some size for a long, long time. Now we have a fellow who can play power forward and some center for us. I feel this team is ready to challenge anybody next year. That's Warriors coach Don Nelson. Don. You're in uh, Howard, uh, like Howard, as we mentioned before, uh, you know, the Dwight Howard trade. Uh, Chris Weber did not seem all that invested in the deal either. He had spent uh, pretty much the last two months uh, talking about playing with O'Neal, understanding that he's definitely going to be the number one overall pick and he's going to go to Orlando and everything that's going to happen. That didn't happen. Of course, the quote was, maybe I wasn't the right thing for them. This is still a great thrill to be the number one player in the draft. This is a dream come true. Don't take away my dream come true. So I don't know what he like within that. He was like, oh, wait, don't know. I'm happy. You're not happy. Why are you not happy? I'm happy. You're good. But he probably wasn't that happy. Anyway, um, he'd have a great year in, in Golden State, though. He had uh, 17.5 points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game. He won the Rookie of the Year award and led the Warriors to the playoffs. They were eventually swept by the Suns in the first round. But yeah, getting the Warriors back to the playoffs, everything kind of worked out. I mean, on the court, it seemed like it was great. Weber was doing well. Nelly Ball was playing like crazy and things were great. They made the playoffs and yeah, everything's going to go great for the Warriors, the next generation of the Warriors. And yeah, there were some issues and there were a lot of issues. Uh, Nelson wanted to make Weber a post player, despite uh, Weber's superb passing ability and good ball handling skills for someone of his time. Uh, 
Weber, he really disliked playing a lot of time at center uh, in the quote, you know, Nelly Ball uh, system. Uh, Nelson and the Warriors attempted to acquiesce uh, Weber's demands. They acquired uh, center Ronnie Cycli in the offseason so that Weber could move to power forward. But right after they did that, Weber exercised a one-year escape clause that he had in his contract, saying that he had no intention to return to the Warriors. Uh, Golden State eventually re-signed him and then did a trade, a sign-in trade immediately, uh, sending Weber to the Washington Bullets for forwards Tom Gugliotta and three first-round picks. So they got their first-round picks back that they traded away, uh, but they also replaced uh, you know Weber with Tom Gugliotta, and that was not as good of a trade. But uh, the quotes afterwards, man, these are something. I got these from the incredible, we've talked about this many times, but the incredible NBA trades uh, Tumblr, where if you don't follow that, like, that that he goes into insane detail about like every trade like and I and when I say every trade I mean every trade like Robert Pack gets traded for somebody and you hear like a hundred quotes about Robert Pack getting traded in, you know like 1997 or whatever really great stuff there so definitely check it out NBA trades uh, on Tumblr uh, this is from Chris Weber he says listen I've had coaches that were absolute jerks I mean they scream at us all the time but you still have to respect people you don't yell at them. Why did we draft you in front of little kids in the stands? That's all Chris Weber had to say after it. Uh, Don Nelson uh, was a little, I don't know, a little nicer, but also kind of throwing some digs at uh, Weber as well. He said, this is not a happy day for us. This is not the way we anticipated the Chris Weber situation. We were building a championship team, and Chris Weber was a part of that. But circumstances did not turn out that way. I don't know what I've done in the past that made Chris so angry at me that he would want to not play for me. I thought I was soft on Chris. I tried to love him. There were some major problems that I didn't know about. Weber said he wants to leave because of me. He says there's a problem between us. I wasn't tough at Chris at all. There were a few times, a few disagreements, but I've been tougher on other players. So, <laughs> you know, Nelly can't, like, he's trying to be nice. Like, oh, I don't know. But also being like, hey, I wasn't really that bad. I mean, shit, if Weber thinks that's bad, he should see these other guys. So it was, uh, it just did not work out. The Weber-Nelson thing did not work out, which kind of stunk because they looked, it looked like it was working on the court. And it was fun to see the Warriors kind of working their way towards uh, relevance again. But uh did not work out. And Weber, of course, would go to Washington. That would uh, have a few years of, of okay. And then, then he would move on to Sacramento. And that's where, of course, the big success of Chris Weber's career came. But at this point, uh, definitely not a good start to Chris Weber's career. Uh, on the court, good. Production-wise, good. But yeah, of course, getting traded or, 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 or you know leaving your original team uh, one year in, definitely uh, unique uh, in this sense because he had the escape clause. But definitely, uh, uh, in some ways, a red flag for, for both Don Nelson and for Chris Weber at this point. But uh, yeah, but uh, did not last very long in Golden State, though. Yeah, no, it, this was better on the court than I remember. I mean, they were a 50-win team. Yeah. You know, uh, first-round exit, obviously not good, but <clears throat> this wasn't like a team with an immense amount of talent. I mean, they had Chris Mullen, but he was 30. You know, they had Latrell Sprewell, who was, you know, obviously young and had potential and, you know, was pretty good. But, uh, you know, their other good players were Billy Owens and Avery Johnson and Victor Alexander. You know, there wasn't like a... You know, it wasn't like a super team. You know, it was like a it was like a fairly good team, and yeah, I think they were the fact that it went that well with Weber. You know, playing a role that he didn't really like or felt like fit him that well. I, and I'm not really sure, and necessarily, I mean, uh, obviously, like Nelly Ball kind of became the way of the future. I'm not necessarily sure it was the best for uh, Weber at that point, but uh, you know, his uh, I don't know his stretchability was that strong. Although obviously, his passing and you know, so many other things that he uh, did were uh, were really awesome, and uh, obviously. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, small ball centers at the time, not in vogue like it is today, but, uh, but, but yeah, that's, um, that, that, that's an interesting situation. It just, it seems like there's just a real, it, it, you know, it's more just a personality disconnect and, and neither guy necessarily, you know, unless there's obviously maybe just things they're not, they're not telling us. Uh, it doesn't, it, it seems more just like, a you know, these guys just couldn't get on the same page or whatever, as opposed to like any, like, you know, um, real genuine, um, 
you know, uh, like, yeah, it's more puzzling than, like, a personality clash between, you know, Dwight and Kobe. Like, that one seems, like, obvious in retrospect. This one seems just, like, a little bit more, because, like, there aren't, like, a whole lot of, like, a hundred other incidents of these guys getting into, like, personality issues with, you know, other guys. It just seems unique to these uh, two guys in the situation. Yeah, and just unique, again, that, like, Weber had that opt-out clause and stuff. And there was a little bit... Right. Rookies had a little bit more power at that point, you know, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, 1999 did, a, did quite the number on rookie contracts. But, uh, yeah, there was a time where, like, rookies... And that's a big reason why Weber eventually got traded from Orlando to Golden State, because they were thought he was going to just command too much and, and have a little bit more. And, and guys had that power. So if Weber, you know, he just said... Yeah. I I'm not happy here. I'm, I'm going to move on. And so it like, but it seems weird though, because sure. never before or after has we ever seen like a guy be able to have that much power uh, in a way as a rookie. And that the idea wasn't just, Hey, we're going to make this work or Hey, we're going to try to make this work out. It was just like Weber was like, no, I'm out <laughs> and I'm done. And yeah, so it was, it's definitely interesting. I think Tim Hardaway missed that entire year as well. It's interesting to wonder what they would have done if, if Hardaway would have played sure. uh, the entire time. Oh, Cause yeah. they're a really good team. That's and right. Uh, things were getting together, and uh, unfortunately, this was their last playoff appearance until 2007. So, <laughs> yikes! <laughs> yeah. yeah, not not ideal. Um, so next we have uh, Paul Westfall in Seattle. He was traded by Phoenix to Seattle for Dennis Johnson in June of 1980. Actually, here, there's some kind of interesting parallels to the Kawhi Leonard-DeMar DeRozan trade. Um, Dennis Johnson, who was the 79 Finals MVP, had feuded with his coach, Lenny Wilkins, who later called him a cancer. Uh, Westfall, at this point, was 29. He'd been an All-NBA four years in a row, including three times on the first team. So, was you know an elite player during the time, obviously getting a bit older, um, getting close to 30. Uh, Dennis Johnson was 25, probably the best uh, defensive guard in the year in the league at that point, and had been All NBA second team in 1980. So he was, um, you know, as entering his prime at this point. But um, you know, uh, and, and, and both these franchises had been you know perennial 50 win teams, and you know were were kind of you know Western Conference, you know, right under the Lakers in terms of you know being title contenders. I mean, they they were they were both right there in you know, potential of them, uh, you know, being able to battle the Lakers you know, theoretically in a, uh, in a playoff series, although it never really came to fruition for the team, despite having regular season success, they never really, you know, neither one really seriously challenged the Lakers in, um, any way. Although, uh, Phoenix continued to be successful with Johnson after this, you know, more 50 win mm-hmm. seasons, uh, Seattle, not so lucky, unfortunately. <laughs> no. Yeah. They finished uh, 34 and 48 that year. It was a year after Western conference finals appearance on tears after title. So that is not great at all. Gus Johnson held out for the season. Uh, Lonnie Shelton only played 14 games and Westfall uh, himself, he only played 36 games as well. So he averaged uh, 16.7 points per game. That was down from 21.9 the year prior. Uh, he had a 51.7 true shooting percentage. That was down from 59.3. And then a negative 1.2 box plus minus down from plus 2.4. So pretty much got worse across the board and played in less games, which is not a good recipe for success. No, not not so good. Yeah, and there's a article from January of 1981 uh, talking about uh, just uh, Westfall things not going well in Seattle. Uh, his quote is: "It hasn't been fun. Although it's been a frustrating several months, I'm not sorry. I asked to be traded. Bad luck can happen anywhere. So he had actually asked to be traded from Phoenix as well. Um, I'm not sure the circumstances behind that because things had actually gone pretty well there, at least in terms of team success. Uh, not not clear on why he wanted to be traded on that. I couldn't really find anything more on that." Um, he said that he 
most of his frustrations at the time, he had a stress fracture of his right leg. He was out for 25 games between October 26th, December 22nd, and then he returned to face his uh, former teammates. Uh, the Sonics, uh, as you talked about earlier, dealing with uh, Gus Williams being out, uh, Lonnie Shelton not, not playing much, you know, two, two of probably their top five players who were out for either the entire season or most of the season. Uh, so, uh, he'd only, they were only six and seven city come back and, um, you know, and, and again, he would only, uh, play 36 games in the uh, season. However, uh, the, uh, Sonics, uh, public relations staff was able to, uh, help, uh, get him, uh, the most votes of any Western Conference guard. So he started alongside <laughs> George Gervin uh, for the uh, All-Star game, his fifth All-Star appearance, I believe his final one, um, because things uh, did not end well in Seattle and, and really, you know, he was uh, not a particularly effective player for the rest of his career. Uh, there's a um, article from uh, 1981, and he said that... Um, uh, that the Sonics offered him a contract that was totally unrealistic, only $200,000 per year. His quote is, I'm taking this as a message that I'm no longer wanted in Seattle. I think the offer was kind of insulting. So, uh, unfortunately he did not, uh, uh he, he did not enjoy that. There were some questions about whether he would be able to sign with another team, but he eventually, uh, did sign with the Knicks where, uh, unfortunately the, the struggles and the health continued to not be uh, great for him. Uh, then ended it up going back to Phoenix and, uh, retiring in, uh, in Phoenix. Yes, so that's uh, yeah, kind of an unfortunate thing there. But yeah, I mean, all all things considered, you you were hoping that that was going to work out a little bit better for for every end there, especially you know Westfall in, in Seattle felt like uh, that would be a good fit, but it just didn't. Yeah, it just did not work out, and and his body kind of betrayed him at that point. And and you know, a guy who was once a really great player ended up just being kind of a guy, and it it, it did kind of stink. So so he's a guy again where like yeah, if you look back at it, you're like, well, Paul Westfall wasn't good, like da, da, da. yeah, but yeah, the expectations were very high coming in there, especially with that Seattle team that was one of the best in the league at that point. Uh, you know, just been off as you, as we said earlier, uh, finals two years ago, and then Western Conference Finals the year prior. So yeah, the expectations were very high, and obviously those uh, expectations were not even remotely close to met. And it's particularly with Westfall and the rest of his career, definitely not met uh, whatsoever. Yeah, ex- right. In retrospect, yeah, the age was, you know, he was just at the age, but he'd been super healthy going into that. Right, year. He, right, he, right. He, yeah, he played 81 or 82 games last four seasons. You know, he'd had a lot of success there. It wasn't like it was inevitable that, you know, things were going to go badly. Um, he did, yeah, he kind of had a, a comeback year in 83 with the Knicks. He, he played basically a full season. His numbers were not great, but they were all right. You know, they he, they bounced back a little bit. You had some success, you know, playing with Bernard King and all that, um, you know, before his final year in um, in, in, in Phoenix, where he, they did make the uh, conference finals, but he was you know, more of a bit role at, at that point, only averaging about 15 points a game. Or 15 minutes per game, excuse me. Yeah, and I, I do love the idea, too, that the Seattle uh, PR staff gets him, like, the most votes. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's sure. a lot easier now with, like, you know, you can vote online or whatever. That's that's difficult back in the day, man. Those are paper ballots. That's, you know, writing stuff yeah. in. Like, you got to really get big on, like, the Paul Westfall starting the All-Star game bandwagon, which is, you yeah. know, like. Well, yeah, there you go. Well, you know, you're, uh, you got the kingdom, so you get, you're getting more people in the venue. Oh, so that's maybe true, that right. I, yeah, there's just know, more pamphlets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I guess. I don't know. Right, that's yeah. true. I forgot about. That. I forgot they were a kingdom team at that point. So that's, that's yeah, that's yeah, hardly fair. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
That's pretty good there. All right, and then uh, what I believe, yeah, our final one, we have a few little other examples here, little quick examples, but our final big one is Scottie Pippen in Houston. You know about this one, of course, after winning his second three-peat with the Bulls. Uh, they went into rebuild, uh, rebuild mode. Jordan retired. Jackson retired. Rodman was, well, Dennis Rodman. He moved on to do whatever the hell Dennis Rodman did afterwards, the Lakers and the Mavericks and all that sort of stuff. But Pippen, he still felt he had some uh, stuff left in the tank, and he was looking for greener pastures. In uh, January 1999, this is the lockout, of course, so we're... Jumping the season up a little bit here since January 1999 and no one has played yet. Uh, the league officially announced the deal. Scottie Pippen will be traded from the Chicago Bulls to the Houston Rockets immediately after the lockout ends. Uh, this was a sign and trade here. Uh, Pippen had talked to the Rockets about signing with them as a free agent. It was not immediately clear why he agreed to a sign and trade. This was at the time a, a report. Uh, but other teams were known to be discussing other sign and trade deals with Bulls general manager Jerry Krause. Uh, we've I've kind of theorized, and I don't know if it's ever been like straight up there, but it was the idea that because like we we've talked about it many many times before that Pippen was you know habitually underpaid uh, every single year by the Bulls, so maybe the the final little sign and trade on his way out was like way to say like all right let's make sure you get the most money as long as we're not paying you, so like you know we'll, we'll sign you to a big big time deal, but then you know then you go leave and somebody else has to pay you. I I don't know if that's exactly why it seemed because there was no reason for him to do a sign and trade. There was no reason for the Bulls to do that either. So it must have been something. I mean the Bulls could obviously offer max money, so it's just probably the easiest way for both the. Uh, Sides to do that. Um, after the deal, um, Rocket Sportsman uh, Tim Frank says we're not going to confirm anything. The lockout is technically not over. We're still under lockout restrictions. No deal can officially be done until that cloak is lifted. So Tim Frank definitely saying, no, we are not tampering with lockout rules. We definitely did not agree to a deal during the lockout. What are you talking about? What are you saying? No. I don't even know who Scotty Pippen is. Who is Scotty no. Pippen? Who are the Bulls? I, I don't know I like, this. <laughs> I, I like no deal can officially be done until that cloak is lifted. Very, <laughs> sounds very mysterious. Right, so, exactly. you know. A cloak yeah. of darkness. Of the a cloak. Yeah. A cloak. Yes. But uh, believe it or not, like shockingly, that. the deal was immediately, once the cloak was lifted, the deal was agreed. So it, like they just called yeah. each other exactly the minute after, like, hey, Scotty Pippen, you mentioned Scotty Pippen? Like, am I? That's great. So it uh, worked out pretty well here. So Pippen is in the fold. Houston re-signed Charles Barkley, and that gave them a affordable... Uh, formidable team. They were led by Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon, and Scottie Pippen. Uh, at this point, again, like you're looking at those guys and going, okay, well, Barkley's a little old. He had been having some issues. Pippen obviously had his back issues last year in Chicago. Akeem Olajuwon is up there in age, but still, they were there was a lot of expectation with this team. They were praised very well. Pippen, uh, after the trade, uh, received a lot of publicity. Uh, he had a solo cover of Sports Illustrated. The headline, though, not that generous. The headline is less about, you know, Scottie Pippen's emergence in Houston. It Still, he had a solo cover, but the headline was, should we still love this game? So it was basically reacting to the lockout. So the lockout happened. We're annoyed. Do we still love this game? But Scottie Pippen, on his own, in a Houston Rockets uniform, is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So that, that's a big deal. I mean, expectations are, again, high and similar to the L.A. thing. doesn't always work out all that well. The subhead on this uh, article as well says the renovated Rockets. So, again, like I said, expectations were high. Like the idea was, yeah, Barkley and Hakeem were up there in age, but, man, they got Scottie Pippen now in the fold, and there's some other good role players. Like, Houston's going to be a, a formidable bunch, and the West was pretty open at this point as well. The whole, the whole NBA was open at this point. Particularly with you know the Bulls you know going down and the East is 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 any is up for the taking and the West of course had been up for the taking for uh, quite a while so yeah this seemed like a very good fit for for everybody yeah and they were definitely you know they were a, a solid enough team but it was just it, it, it was a little bit like the um, Dwight Howard Lakers where it was just chemistry issues attitude issues um, a little bit on the injury woes. Um, Pippen had an infamous uh, run-in with the law. He was detained under suspicion of DUI. Uh, and on the court, you know, things were only kind of so-so. Uh, he had a career high in minutes per game, 40.2, which seems, uh, you know, Pippen was getting up there in age. And maybe not the best idea. Um, and 
14.5 points per game, which is the lowest since his rookie year. Only uh, made 42, 3.2% of his shots. So, um, you know, the, a little bit of a struggle of adjustment there. You know, also, you know, obviously there, it's a season where you're going into, um, you know, you're starting in January rather than your normal routine. So I'm sure that had an effect as well. Uh, he was named to the all-defensive first team for the eighth time. Uh, however, the Rockets, you know, they finished season 31-19, certainly, you know, not a not a bad record. Uh, they were able to, uh, however, they uh, faced the Lakers in the first round, and they lost to the Lakers uh, three games to one, of course. You know, that was, uh, Shaq was on that team, Kobe was on that team, but that was post- um, Eddie Jones and Van X were gone, correct? Uh, from that team, I think so. Yeah, I, I, let me let me let me double check on that team because that's this weird era of Los Angeles. It wasn't quite right. the you know obviously the uh, you know Phil Jackson years, yet. but right. like yeah, right. a little bit of holdovers. But it felt like they were kind of assembling that entire crew. Yeah, I don't remember if Jones uh, was still there. I went to the wrong year. God damn it, <laughs> got me in the lockout. There they are. That's old Del Harris. <laughs> Kurt Rambis coached this team, so yeah. uh, I forgot he played a little bit. Yeah, so this was okay. So this was the. The Glenn Rice, so Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe okay. Bryant, Glenn Rice, Eddie Jones, Rick Fox, Elvin Campbell team. So, okay. so Campbell's so on his way out. gone, but not yet Eddie Jones. Yeah, yeah Eddie okay, Jones is right. on his way out. Glenn Rice would, of course, hang around uh, for, for another year or so. But, yeah, so oh. you get most of the team. But, yeah, you get some some little holdovers here and there um, as well. But, yeah, for the, ba- yeah. The, the base of it, you know, Derek Fisher's in the fold. Tyron Lewis in the fold. Robert Ory's in the fold. Like, a lot of the big guys are there. They're just, you know, not quite. Ruben Patterson, sure. the Kobe stopper, was learning all he could about how to stop Kobe yeah. Bryant at this point as well. Sure. So. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so right, I mean, and right after that, it was basically when the the, the tension uh, <laughs> came to the surface. Everyone yeah. is, uh, you know, Pippen wants to be traded. Nobody's happy in Houston. Yeah, this is bad, and, and like it's kind of interesting because yeah, they finished thirty-one and nineteen. Like you said, that's not a bad record. Like if Pippen had had hung around for another year, like we probably don't look at this year and they're like they're maybe okay the next year or whatever. But the idea that we're looking at this and the blunder and oh my god, it's such a disaster. Pretty much all falls on the fact that Pippen just immediately wanted to leave and the chemistry issues that we were talking about. So we said yeah, immediately after the elimination, Pippen wants to be traded in the media. He's saying, "Get me out of here! I cannot wait to get out of here." And the quotes they start flooding in, man. So get ready for this back and forth between these two. Charles Barkley says, "For him to want to leave after one year, it disappointed me greatly." The Rock. Rockets went out of their way to get Scotty, and the fans have treated him well, so I was just disappointed in him. Pippen, not so cordially, says, I wouldn't give Charles Barkley an apology at gunpoint. He can never expect an apology from me. If anything, he owes me an apology for coming to play with his fat butt. So that uh, was not good. Pippen then doubled down by saying, I probably should have listened to Michael a year ago when he said that Charles will never win a championship because he doesn't show any dedication. He's a very selfish guy. He doesn't show the desire to want to win. That's my reason for wanting to get away from playing with him because he just doesn't show the dedication. And then Pippen decided to go in one more. And he says, I wouldn't exactly say I wanted to be traded. No, I wanted to see that we were a team that I was trying to win a championship. That was my main reason for going there. And I felt like that at some point we just gave up on ourselves. We didn't want to win. So... You're fat, you don't want to win, and you don't show any dedication. So I'm going to go. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, not great. So yeah. Charles Barkley at one point like shows decorum in this. Like I'm kind of surprised with Charles. He didn't uh, he didn't quite go out of his way there. He said he was disappointed. And then Pippen just went in for the, the you know <laughs> the jugular. Yeah. At least Pippen was smart enough not to go after uh, Akeem because that wasn't going to be No, well, no, that would have been bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah he you just don't, went yeah, right don't, don't do that. <laughs> Sir yeah, Charles. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it didn't go after Michael Dickerson either. You know, you don't, you do not go <laughs> oh, after Michael you, Dickerson. Oh, you don't swing you do at Michael not. Dickerson and then live to tell the tale. So that's, no, <laughs> you do not. Absolutely not. You do not mess with Michael Dickerson. Absolutely. Never, never, 
Never do that. My my, my good friend Michael Dickinson, you don't do that. No, no, so, no. Uh, Pippen was no. traded, of course, by the Houston Rockets to the Portland Trailblazers because you probably want to trade the guy that you know <laughs> said all those right. things uh, and wants yeah. to be traded. So he got traded to the Portland Trailblazers in exchange for Stacey Ogman, Kelvin Cato, Ed Gray, Carlos Rogers, Brian Shaw, and Walt Williams. So, I mean, those are players that yeah. played in the NBA. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. like Some of them were good. For, you know, Yeah, like six it's, years it's, ago, it's that quite... Stacey Ogman deal would have been pretty nice. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I can't imagine there are a lot of six for one NBA uh, <laughs> no. tra- trades. Like, you know, like uh, I, I wonder what's the, the, the most amount of players that have been traded for one player. If six is the record or if there's seven, we'll have to put that in for a future show idea. Cause I'm, uh, I'm not curious. The largest imbalance between, you know, I, we have, it has to just be players, not like draft picks and players. Because, right, right, you know, right, you, right. You, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I don't know if salary, I'm, how much salary matching was a consideration here. I'm sure it had to be to a certain extent, but yeah. Um, what I love about that I too guess, is, is that yeah. so Portland gives up six players, as we said, but their team is still like ungodly de- like deep. Like this this next year, they have Rashid, they have Steve Smith, they have Scotty Pippen, they have Damon Stoudemire, they have Sabonis, they have Bonzi Wells, they have Detlef Shrimp, they have Brian Grant, they have Greg Anthony. You know, like they were still like ridiculously deep. It's it's kind of nuts. Yeah, the Rockets, uh, they were not much better. than They were actually significantly worse the next year, 34 and uh, 40. Yeah, I'm just trying to see who of those players actually continued to be on the uh Yeah, so Stacey Ogman went right back to the Trailblazers, so that didn't work out for him. Okay. So the one there guy that we said was great, yeah. uh, he got waived uh, 10 days later by the Rockets, and guess who yeah. resigned Calvin him? The K- Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, so. Right. Kelvin Cato ended up, yeah, had some good years with the, um, with the Rockets. Uh, Carlos Rogers stuck around. Uh, I don't see Ed Gray. Brian Shaw went to the. Um, there's Devin Gray here, but not Ed Gray. Uh, Brian Shaw ended up going to the Lakers, I'm sure, and then Walt Williams. Uh, oh, Walt Williams ended up here, so they they kept like half the players. <laughs> so they got Walt Williams and Kelvin Cato. So that's uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah maybe, maybe not the best trade ever. Yeah, maybe not a deal. Why would you keep Stacy? Uh, Why would you just release Stacy Ogman? What are you doing? Maybe you probably yeah, just make them all work. They didn't need him. Probably not. Yeah, you know, um, you want to, you know, have that playing time for Kenny Thomas. You know, <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, some other examples that are kind of often brought up in this that you know we wanted to, like touch on a few of them we we brought up a little bit, but we'll just dig in them real quick. Carl Malone and Gary Payton in LA 2004. I, you, this was brought up a lot, but you know, one those two guys obviously were you know close to the end of their careers. Although Malone was still you know a pretty awesome player even at age 40, and Payton was still really good too. Um, but and also the team like they made the, the finals, and you know they weren't that far from winning a championship. I, I feel like that was kind of a debacle. But in terms of like the you know. They basically met the expectations that, you know, um, or came close to meeting the expectations that they would have had. It wasn't like they, they didn't really feel on the court. It was just all the circus and everything around the court. That was the issue there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and had they not, you know, blown the, the finals to a team that everybody kind of assumed was like, oh, the scrappy Pistons team or whatever, which we always I, we, we talk about this as well. Like that was a really great team with like really great players. So the idea that it was like, oh, this ragtag bunch of guys who were no good. They're like these OK players. Like there wasn't any stars. Like, no, Rashid Wallace is a star. Like, Chauncey Bills is a star. Like, there were stars sure. on the team but that sort of fueled the narrative a little bit too it didn't help that Kobe and Shaq wanted to kill each other and Phil was kind of over everything as well so yeah there was a lot of circumstances that led to that not necessarily a blame on Carlin and, and, and Peyton even though there may have been some chemistry issues with those guys yeah. but still like I think there was so much else going around that it was it was almost untenable from from day one 
Yeah, I know there was some fit issues with Peyton and not really fitting into the triangle and some issues there. But yeah, but basically on the court, you know, they achieved what you know, what was reasonable to expect of a team. You know, coming you know two games short of winning a championship or whatever, it's you know, fairly good. Um, yeah, it, the others, you know, we talked about them a little bit. Dwayne Wade in Chicago, I think that's just a little bit too far uh, removed from his prime to really have expectations of things you know going well there. Uh, they certainly, you know, maybe a playoff contender, but not certainly not a championship one. Uh, Iverson in Detroit, again, I think that was one where um, you know, that was an interesting wrinkle because of Iverson, you know, going to this team that had, um, you know, made six straight conference finals or what have you, and you know, we're looking for a shakeup there. Um, so that, that I think that went worse than expected, but I don't think expectations should have been, you know, particularly high in that case. Um, and then Isaiah Thomas in Cleveland, uh, as you talked about, you know, he. Going in, I mean, I think that you, people knew about the injury. I think there was more expectations that he would be able to um, play earlier and that he would be able to, you know, contribute. But he was also a guy where you know he really had like one awesome season before that, but it wasn't like he had a huge resume of being like a star for a long time. It was more like he, you know, become a really good player, and but it wasn't like he was. I, I don't consider it comparable to these other situations because you know he just hadn't really had quite the same track record as the other guys. Yeah, no, and it, th- that one doesn't quite work for me a little bit because and there was there was obviously some injury potential concerns with with the Cleveland thing as well, and yeah, there there was a lot. So I don't know. I don't know if it's quite fair to put that, and that again might be sort of a catch twenty two. But I don't know that anybody was like, oh, Isaiah Thomas on Cleveland, this is going to change the game now. They're ready to go, like they're ramped up. Like I think there was there was definitely healthy skepticism immediately upon Isaiah going to, to Cleveland. So I don't think it was yeah that everybody was like, oh, this is what's going to turn the tables for them. So yeah, that, that's sure that's a little tough. Where the other yeah. guys we talked about I, all had pretty high expectations coming in, right? And I think Isaiah. The other thing is that like. They were having to trade Kyrie, you know, clearly a better player. And it was like, well, okay, if you're going to get that, you know, if you're going to have to get that return for it, this is a fairly good return. And it ended up being, you know, not not a good return. But at the time, it looked like a better return than it ended up being, I guess. So I guess the expectation there is that, like, it looked like a reasonably even trade. And then it was basically a failure trade in all, in in every aspect, other than getting a decent draft pick. Right, exactly. It felt great for, like, 10 minutes. And then when people kind of dug in, they were like, "Ah, I don't know. And then, yeah, pretty much weeks in, it was like, oh, no, this is not good. Oh no, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I these are the ones that have been down. I don't know if there's, know if there's any others that um, that came to you at the top of your head. We, you talked about a few at the at the top of the show. I think we may have addressed pretty much all the major ones. I think so. Yeah, there was some other you know people had mentioned a, f- a few ones here and there in our you know Facebook group and on Twitter. I said George Gervin was one in Chicago where people mentioned. Um, People, of course, a lot of people brought up this current Jimmy Butler one, not knowing that, they, you know, that's the reason why we did this episode. It's kind of the Jimmy thing uh, when that eventually goes. But I think, yeah, I think we got just about every other one. I, I'm, I'm curious if if there are anybody who, who if you do have other ones, of course, uh, over and back uh, on uh, Facebook and then at over and back NBA on Twitter. Let us know uh, if there was ones that we missed, ones that you really like, ones that you think that we, we yeah, the one uh, a name. But again, try to keep it a guys in prime. I think that makes it a little bit more fun when you try to think of guys that were really good. Uh, but yeah, most guys stick it out at least one more year. It, it was tough to find it. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we came up with some ones and a lot of them are recent examples. But yeah, guys usually hang around for at least one, you know, one or, or, or try for another year and a half or whatever, get traded the next deadline. So it's really hard to find just one and done uh, guys that, that are in their prime. But we I think we did a pretty good job of finding some. So yeah, yeah, this was fun. Uh, fun. Uh, Fun subject to explore, uh, some things I uh, learned that I didn't uh, know about or hadn't remembered it about in a long time, so always fun to uh, do that. 
hopefully listeners enjoyed it uh, and uh, they can uh, find us uh, of course you mentioned our Twitter and uh, Facebook uh, pages you can also find us at the step back at fansided.com and we've lots of other great stuff going on with the season ramping up there's going to be season preview content there's uh, you know other good articles and podcasts uh, going on there so you should definitely uh, check all that out and uh, you can also find us on iTunes Stitcher tuned in wherever you uh, listen to your podcast we are there we appreciate uh, ratings and reviews it makes us feel better about ourselves and that's obviously very important so uh, thanks everyone for checking us out and we're back again soon